fans, you've got Jonathan here tonight for round 23 of Don the Stat. Uh, it's really hard to believe we've come to the last round of the home and away season and, and we take on the Tigers for the last time. Um, well, for our last game for this year. Uh, on my own tonight, just want to do a quick shout out to my co-host, Dan Hume, who is um, sitting at home with a, a brand new... Uh, newborn, welcome. Well, thank. Uh, congratulations, firstly to to Humi and uh, and welcome to the world, Oscar. Um, hopefully, the rest of his journey is as a Nesson fan is a much better one than the start of it. But yeah, uh, really pumped for for yourself and Mary, and it's uh, it's really great news. And and uh, congratulations and welcome to the world. So, going to do my best to soldier on on my own tonight. Sorry to everyone for having to put up with my voice the whole way through, but hopefully, I can um, I can try and make a little little bit of sense of what's happening at the moment, uh, and um, and I guess share my views on on things for for what they're worth. Um, I guess just to kick off, I've been pretty quiet this week, uh, like most. Heston fans, it's been a pretty trying few days and losing and, and losing badly on the weekend is hard enough, but to see your club getting dragged or dragging themselves through the mud day after day, it's really hard to process. And I'm somebody who probably likes to to absorb things and process things and, and sort of collect my thoughts before I, um, yeah, share them or fire off about them. Um, but yeah, here, here we are. So this has taken a few days to kind of, put together um as much as i like to put a brave face on and and pretend that you know it's only footy and get on with things it's not really how i feel uh in the context of life i know there are many many more important things going on in the world than what's happening at the essen footy club but like many of us and and for me you know i feel like i'm i am essendon and essendon's part of me and um and yeah it, it when the club's down and hurting at it hurts out all of us. Um, we, Ian and I started this podcast, as most people who have listened would know, because we want to talk about what was happening on the field. Um, and, and at times this year, it's been hard to avoid what's happening off field, but really on field is our happy place, whether we win or lose. Uh, it's something that we're able to make sense of. You know, we can try to explain it. We can hopefully bring some clarity to what's happening on the field. Uh, you know, it, it's what I, I know and love talking about. We wanted to talk a bit about the opposition and what and how they go about things, and and hopefully, uh, for those that were interested, allow them to go to the footy and make sense of what they were seeing, and, and hopefully it, it helped educate some people along the way about how, um, yeah, how the game is being played and, and what other teams are trying to do. Uh, the last thing that we wanted to do was talk about bold, you know, board spills and political manoeuvrings and who our next coach would be. Uh, and I haven't checked Twitter in the last ten minutes, so. Hopefully we don't have a new one um, already um, that I've completely missed. But yeah, the reality is we are where we are and we can't avoid talking about what's happened over the course of this week. And you know, what's become abundantly clear is what we saw on Sunday was a di- direct result of what's happening at board level, the internal review and the fraction, the fractures that were then caused within the football department and beyond. It's impossible for us to review the port game without addressing the elephant in the room. So um, I guess... I'm going to get a little bit self-indulgent here and I apologise for that, but I really don't know any other way to talk about what's happening without 
talking about it from the heart and, and talking about it from my own perspective. So yeah, here goes and, and bear with me. Um, I'm not, I know I'm not unique, but I do consider myself very, very lucky. My grandparents lived in North Essendon and, and then later moved to Nidri. My dad was the second born in the family of five kids and he was born on grand final day in 1949. We beat Carlton on that day by 73 points. John Coleman kicked six goals and we had another flag to our collection. Um, to give you some context of the family that I was born into, my, my grandfather was meant to be at home looking after my dad's older brother and instead handed him off to one of the neighbours and went to the footy. Uh, unfortunately for him, he went to hospital that night and hadn't bothered to check the PM edition of the paper uh, because there was, you know, when he sort of lied to my grandmother and said he spent the day at home, she had photographic evidence of him sitting in the MCG at the footy. Uh, so, yeah, I guess just... To, to add, as I mentioned, a little bit of context of the type of Essendon family I was born into is just what we knew. Uh, all of my early memories involve Essendon. My, you know, my dad and my uncle were both heavily involved in official capacities at both the football club and the cricket club. And, and it's not really a stretch for me to say I literally grew up at Windy Hill, both during footy season and cricket season. If I wasn't at home or at school, uh, there was every chance that I was down there making a complete and utter nuisance of myself. Um, and I never really felt like family was just the, the four people I live with, my, you know, my mum and my dad and my brother. I, I always felt that my family was bigger than that, as, as strange as it sounds. but um, And it's really hard to explain, but I was a really introverted kid who's who's become an introverted adult. And I don't know, being at Windy Hill kind of felt like a little bit of a superpower. It just felt like I was part of something special and, um, and yeah, part of something you know, bigger than, than just me. Um, in year 10, we had to do a week's work experience and there was only one place that I wanted to do it. And, you know, most kids who followed footy probably dreamed of playing for the club that they barracked for. I wanted to be an assistant coach under Kevin Sheedy. That was, yeah, where, where my mind was fixated at. I was really grateful and thankful that I was given the, the, the tick of approval and the opportunity to do my work experience inside the football department at Essendon, still only 14 years of age. And um, and it was a serendipitous moment for me that really did set the rest of my life on a course. The first day I, I was there, uh, really wet and green behind the ears, the club decided that it was time to, to trial computerised statistics. Things were going to move from pen and paper uh, and this was in a world before champion data existed and rankings and all of those kind of things. So, yeah, right time, right place. And I was in the box that weekend and stayed there for the next 15 seasons. So whilst my, my dreams and career ambitions changed, my love and respect for Essendon has, has never, ever wavered. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm sit here completely and utterly grateful for the experience that it's allowed me to have. And I guess I just wanted to share that because – when I think about what's happening at the moment, it takes me back to the experiences that I've had and the people that, that I got to rub shoulders with and all the great people of Essendon that I was fortunate enough to meet or know or still do know, whether they were players, coaches or volunteers, they all had one thing in common and it was that it was always about the club. It was always about looking out for one another it was about playing a role in something that was much bigger and much more important to 
to themselves than than any one individual and that didn't mean that people didn't show care or respect for the other people around them it wasn't a dog eat dog world there there absolutely was a, a love and respect for everybody um whether they were inside the four walls or they were sitting in the Ponsford stands but regardless of your role it, it about you and your egos weren't tolerated there was a deep respect and understanding for the history of Essendon for for Reynolds for Coleman for Norm Macdonald for Ken Fraser for the names on the grandstand and the thousands and thousands of people that fill them every week it it was clear that being part of Essendon was never about personal gratification it wasn't about feathering your own nest or your own bank balance or your own self of sense of self-importance which what makes sharing my own story a little bit difficult to do because it's not something that I typically talk about all that much Um, but what was always known was that you were there to do your bit to help Essendon win games of football and your ultimate goal was to leave the club a better place than what it was before you came into it. I think it's clear to recognise that our problems didn't start and finish under the leadership of Paul Brusher and, and Xavier Campbell, they, they've been around for a long time. That they, and I think they, they ultimately started about 20 years ago when we mismanaged the salary cap and that resulted in us losing good quality footballers when they were in the peak of their powers and, and good quality Essendon people. We went from that 2000 season losing just the one game and, and winning a premiership and when no team really came close to us to pushing the likes of Buick out the door into an early retirement when he wasn't ready. We lost Long and Wallace who, um, you know, went at, at, at a time where we then also had to have a fire sale and get rid of Hardwick, Glenfield, Heffern and Carousella. I probably missed one or two in there, but all in the space of a couple of years. Um, and then under that same leadership at, at the time, we uh, the, the recruiting team was told not to recruit guys from interstate because of the extra cost and moving allowances that had to be paid to them. So, uh, you know, it was basically forgo the opportunity to draft the next Dean Rioli at a time where, sorry, we've stuffed up the salary cap and we're losing players um, because it's going to cost us a few more bucks. So we've gone from being premiers in 2000 to in 2002, having to put players up for trade that we didn't want to lose. And it was really, in my view, a turning point of where, Profits started to to be put ahead of football, and I'm not sure we've we've ever recovered from that. And we've really just moved from one saga to another, and um, and here we are, uh, ultimately repeating the same mistakes. Uh, I think in football, when you put personal ambition first, or in sport in general, when you when you take the history of Essendon for granted, uh, when you take the hundreds of thousands of people that love the club for granted, you end up in situations that you are in now. And I don't want to add to the pylon not because I don't think it's deserved but because I think enough people have already done a really good job this week articulating that already but we can't shy away from the fact that things aren't what they should be and that's not just about wins or losses I I honestly don't think we're that far off the number of wins I thought we might have had this year Um, we celebrated and, and I use that term really loosely now our 150th year this year, which should have been something that all Essendon people could have been really proud of. We had the a big gala dinner, which the, the leadership of the club decided would put at a price point that just priced most members and supporters out of it. Uh, just another indication where profits were were put for it first. And, and I think what might have been missed in 
the the conversations at the time was that life members didn't even receive an invite until the week before. Uh, so, you know, under the leadership of the club, we had people who dedicated decades of time, 30 and 40 years of, you know, their own blood, sweat, tears, money, um, and effort to build the fabric of the club. And they were doomed not worthy to get a free ticket to the 150th celebration of the club. Um, or at least we're an, at the very least we're an afterthought after the event wasn't going to be the commercial success that it was hoped for. Um, uh, and in, I guess the, the real kick in the face was there was no phone call. There was no follow up to people. There was no acknowledgement. There was an email that was sent and, and that was it. Um, so I guess it's just another indication that that perhaps the decision makers of the club had completely lost sight and respect for what this club is really about. I think when you're in a position of decision-making authority, a position of influence, and when you fail to be honest with yourself and the people around you and the supporters, this is ultimately what happens. You lose good players from your football club like we did at the end of 2020. When you fail to to recognise the reasons why, when you're not, um, honest, yeah, as I said, you're not honest with supporters and you forget life members, you, you end up in a position where eventually um, the shit hits the fan and, and things start to fall apart. I think when the internal review was announced around about 10 or 12 weeks ago, I think we we made the point on this show at the time that internal reviews can ultimately lead to factions within the club. They create division because it's not a level playing field. You've got people making assessments on the future of their peers and it's not an even playing field. The the internal review ultimately got presented leading into the GWH match. In the same week, we hear in the media that there's conflict between Adrian Dodoro and Josh Marnie. And then followed to follow that up, we have two horrible performances on field against GWS and Port. Coming off a period where we'd be performing pretty well, um, we'd had a, a consistent level of effort. And I, I think it's hard, it's not hard, sorry, to put two and two together and know that the damage that the internal review and the decision makers that were involved in putting that together has ultimately done to what was already a fragile environment. As for what happens from here, I, I really don't know. It's not my space, but I, like every Essen fan, obviously hopes this is the opportunity to get it right. I think the easiest thing for Dave Barham to have done would have been to walk away, um, to, to put it in the too hard basket and, and uh, tender his resignation and, and move away altogether. Uh, to, but to put his hand up to coordinate a takeover and, and a coup and, and force an external review is a, a on a personal level I think a really brave step and I think it's a step towards putting Essen and, and football ahead of ego and, and self-gratification um, Eddie McGuire last night made some pretty accurate observations and far be it for me to, to quote him but I guess he is a person who knows a little bit about how boards and football clubs operate. I do think that 10 board members is way too many because that does breed factions. I think our club for way too long has, has suffered or, or allowed agitation from coterie groups to take place. I think we, we need to get that right. Um, and I think the Pies are a really good case study. They mismanaged their salary cap too. That it led them to having to get rid of a quality player in, in Adam Trelaw, who they really didn't want to lose. 
they had claims and investigations into systemic racism through their club. They had a board spill. They had two new presidents in the space of six months, and they ended up sacking their favourite son as coach. They then went through a thorough process. They invested in strong football people, not necessarily Collingwood people, but strong football people. And, you know, as we sit here, only, you know, less than a year later, they're they're on the brink of finishing in the top four and, and heading into a final series. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I deeply hope that this is the opportunity the club takes to to get things right and learn from from what the likes of Collingwood have done to get the right people in the right roles, making the right decisions. I, I do honestly believe that we have a strong base of young talent on our list. I think there's a lot of work to do, and you know, I think everyone acknowledges that we, we desperately need some experience. We need some some more quality throughout. But I also think there's a lot to work with. I don't really subscribe to the theory that the wins we did have mid-year were meaningless. I, I do think that it shows that we have a talent pool that is capable of competing with really good sides. But I do think we need to to make the decisions that we need to make to create an environment that brings the best out of the talent that we do have and retains them long-term. So if this is the truly the, the line in the sand moment, then I really do hope we do it properly, that we do it thoroughly, that it's considered and that we do it on the back of people who value and respect the history of our club and the 85,000 members of Essendon. They don't have to be people that come to Essendon. I don't think you have to have been an Essendon player or an Essendon person to to respect or contribute to the future of the club, but they certainly do need to be people who value it and, and understand it. Um, yeah. Uh, so on to, on to the match review, I guess. Um, it was a hard, yeah, a hard game to review, and clearly it wasn't a team that played up to its ability. I think on the surface and ignoring the scoreboard for the moment, some of the indicators weren't all that bad. You know, in, inside 50 tackles, we were, we were up. The tackles were 49 to 56 ports wide. It wasn't, you know, that far away. Contested ball, we didn't get blown out of the water. Um, although Port won by 11 and, um, and you know, we won clearances. So, yeah, there were, there were some things that went okay, but everything around that was, was just really, really poor, which, you know, is a pretty understated statement, obviously. Um, we mentioned last week that Port were ranked 18th in the month prior for scores from defensive chains. They had a real inability to work the ball off their halfback line and were averaging less than four points a game. They scored... 68 points from back half um, to our 15. So, you know, we, we were able, or Port were able to turn what was really a weakness into into a big strength on the weekend all through our inability to really put pressure on. Uh, we won the clearances, as I mentioned. We dominated hitouts 50 to 9, but we're ultimately outscored 68 to 27 from clearances. So any ascendancy that we did have was just handed straight back through, through Port ball use and again a lack of pressure um a lack of predictability or sorry our our predictability at clearance and our lack of defensive application i think was really summed up in the first minute of the game i i'm guessing most people have been pretty reluctant to go back and watch the replay but if you do think back um draper won the tap shield won the first possession handballed at a stringer it was intercepted by Finlayson, who read it like a book, he won the ball, got it going Port's way, and then ultimately 
ball goes inside 50. McGrath got boundary side of Boak, who ran past, got a handball and kicked a, a, a pretty much an uncontested goal. It kind of summed up everything that's been bad about Essendon uh, the last couple of weeks, but also, uh, you know, at different times through the season, just predictable um, handball backwards to try and release and then a lack of pressure down the ground and, and poor kicked an easy goal. And then I think, you know, the other thing that's really gone wrong the last two weeks is that our ball use has just gone back to being really timid. And, and for me, that was best summed up halfway through the first quarter. Um, again, for those that were still paying attention by that stage, uh, Dylan Shield won a holding the ball free kick on uh, right on the back 50 line, um, you know, just inside Ports 50. Um, and on... I have to say, I do think Dylan Shield was one of a few whose effort was a pass mark. I think he had 10 tackles for the game and credit to him for how he's turned his season around. But the ball spilled from the tackle. It was paid a free kick, but spilled to a tackle to Nick Martin. And he was under no pressure. There was no Port Adelaide player within six or seven metres of him. He had Hind next to him who was ready to run. He had Brian and Caldwell in the corridor, which you know were, were pretty easy Nick Martin kicks. Uh, and then he had Laverde who'd broken for a switch. And, and instead he just sort of stopped. He didn't try and take the game on and he, he gave the ball back to Shield so Shield could take, you know, get back off his mark and take his kick, which ultimately gave Port the opportunity then to set up. And what happened was Shield ended up kicking back and across goal to Zerg Thatcher, who then went backwards again and across to Ridley, who then went short and wide. We ended up pinned on the boundary side, still in our back half after three more kicks and um, the ball eventually goes down the line and it turned out, it was turned over. Um, so, yeah, so that confidence in the, in the ball movement, we, we were seeing, you know, sort of from that Saints game for, the, for a good six or so weeks afterwards was, um, was yeah, had completely gone. Um, and, yeah, I think ultimately besides the enthusiasm and excitement of Dan Brazio's first goal, I'm not sure there's much else to to really talk about um, through the Port game without giving everyone, including myself, a, a real sense of PTSD. So I think I'm, uh, I'm just going to move on from that one and, um, yeah, talk a little bit more about what's happening going forward. So... Uh, there was an interesting article this week. There's been a lot written, obviously, but um, one that Humey did share from Michael Gleason in The Age, and, and he talked about, uh, well, a lot of things related to the problems at Essendon at the moment, but one thing that he did sort of point out, which is an interesting take and, and one that people haven't really brought up, was whether Essendon's defensive woes are, are purely just a lack of defensive intent and, and coaching or a lack of elite runners in the side. and. I think my view, having thought long and hard about it, is the simple answer is both. Um, We do lack a consistent level of defensive intent, and I do think we lack elite runners on the outside, Um, and I think that's why we've gone and drafted the likes of D'Ambrosio in the mid-season draft. But I do think there's a third, and and I think um, a third reason why we encounter some of the problems we have, and I think it's something that we've spoken about before, and it's the way that we rotate our mids. I think there's a real big correlation in our biggest losses, and it happened again on the weekend in how we rotate our, our midfielders and our over-reliance on our top three or four and not using our, our fifth midfielder enough. And we consistently end up in a situation where our mids are starting to fatigue. It come third quarter from just repeatedly doing the same thing again and again, and they're coming up against fresher and stronger midfielders. So 
and that makes obviously two-way running a lot more difficult, um, particularly in a team that's not winning enough contested ball at the moment, not being clean with their ball use. So, yeah, I do dig it up. I think Humi shared it on Twitter today. Um, and have a good read if you can. It, it made some interesting points. If you can bear to, to cut through the clucks and, um, and the coaching noise, I think it, it, there's some really good observations in it. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, there's, there's another real problem with how we're rotating our mids. Uh, so yeah, so on to this week. Um, the, the big news in selection was that my, Michael Hurley is going to return for, for his final game, which is, yeah, just just fantastic. I think a happy, sad moment. Obviously, sad that that we didn't get to see the extended best of him because of the you know the the year suspension and then the injuries that he had following that. Um, but happy that we get to see him one last time. Uh, he he joins Zach Reed into side. Kyle Langford out. Nick Bryan and Ben Hobbs is the Medi sub hasn't been selected. Uh, one change of the Tigers, Jack Ross is in for Jack Graham, which is you know, a, a like-for-like, like, I guess, in, in terms of competitive midfielder. And Castagna was their Medi sub last week and hasn't been selected, which is probably good news for us because he's the type of player that consistently pops up against us and, and kicks goals. So, um, so yeah, um, I went back and and had a look at our notes from the show the last time we played the Tigers in round 10. Ironically, that was the week that the the story of Xavier Campbell's two-year extension was leaked to the media. So something seems to be something about playing the Tigers that, that brings out some controversy around our club. Um, but despite that for me, round 10 was the, the point in the season where I, we started to see things turn around and, and we did lose by 30-odd points, but... Um, there was a clear uptick in in effort that week, um, and and that was what I think started to to see things turn around, and, and ultimately got us some wins against the likes of St Kilda, uh, the Swans, and you know a, a near win against the Pies. Um, it, it was really just a, we fell asleep for a little bit in the second quarter where they kicked five goals to two, and and that was probably the biggest difference in the game, along with. Uh, our, infic- our inefficiency going inside 50. So the Tigers scored from 49% of their injury uh, injuries, 49% of their entries uh, to us, just 26 and a half. Um, but it was the second time in a row we played, again, ironically, Port Adelaide the week before, and we were able to really set up our press, create repeat entries, maintain territory in our first forward half. We just weren't able to generate scores um, in that game. I think both Sides so turned the ball over a fair bit. It wasn't a, a particularly pretty game to watch. It was really scrappy. Um, and we were able to put enough pressure on Richmond, though, to, to force them into a bit more of a kick mark handball game than what, sorry, kick and mark game than what they're normally used to. They had uh, 100 marks in the game to, to our 75. Um, but they also got the job done, I guess, in the air around the ground. So, Inside 50s, they took 14 marks to our four. Uh, contested marks, 15 to five. Um, ironically, or well, not ironically, but we did win the tackle count that night by by plus 13. So that was coming off that horrendous Swans game where we only had 30 tackles or whatever it was. We were able to then go and turn that around and um, and have a, a better defensive and, and, and tackling effort against the Tigers, albeit not able to, to win the game. Um, since we last played them, I guess not a lot has changed for Richmond in terms of 
their their numbers. They are number one for inside fifties, averaging fifty nine a game. Um, they're second last for stoppage differential. They're they're sixth for marks inside fifty, averaging three more a game than what they concede. I think they've solidified their back line a little bit with Lawson coming back and, and playing a bit more footy um, and Tarrant coming back into the side and playing some good footy over the last sort of six to eight weeks. Um, and and they are getting uh, a bit more cleaner ball use through the midfield and that's resulted in them turning the ball over less than what they were earlier in the year. Uh, in terms of match tactics, it was really it's, – yeah, it's hard to know what, what's going to happen on Saturday night whether we're going to get just a, a white flag flown and see something that's pretty similar to, to Sunday. I hope not. Um, I, I hope that we, we put in a better performance for, for hurls and, um, and yeah, for, well, for, for everyone who cares about Essendon, I guess. Um, but let's assume for a moment that we're going to get an Essendon team that is going to be up for the challenge and, and get out there and, and have a real crack. Um, there's, there's two parts of the game where all things being equal, I think we can get Richmond. Um, <laughs> on the inside, the the key part, I think, is clearances. They're, they rank 15th for clearances and 15th for, for clearance differential. I think um, it, it's a part of the game that they, even at their best, they weren't outstanding at. They do hurt you when they get clean clearance. Uh, they can get from, from stoppage to score really, really quickly. But um, in terms of weighted numbers, it's an area where I, th- I think if we can get somewhere near our competitive best, that, that we should be able to have an impact. And then on the outside, they rank 17th for tackles and 13th for uncontested possession differential. So they really, once the ball does get on the outside, they're, they're not at the frantic pressure levels that we've seen from Richmond teams in the past. And they, they do allow sides to get a bit of an uncontested run on. Um, yeah. At, at, at times. So, I think they're the, they're the two parts that that we can get some ascendancy in the game if we're if we're up for the challenge. Um, I'm challenging Sam Draper to have a big game this week. I, I want to see him jump all over Nan Kerbis and, and take him deep into our forward line. Just really work him over. I want to see him mix up his hitting zones. So you know, hitting to different directions, hitting to different players, and mixing up the depth. He's been going short a lot um, and being really predictable. We need to to see him really make things up and, and sorry, mix things up and, and just don't make it easy for the, the opposition to get a good read on things. Um, and, and if he can do that, I think we set out, we give ourselves a chance to really not just win clearances, but make an opportunity to be dangerous from clearance. Uh, and I'm also asking our mids to really burst and carry from stoppage and, and get the ball to outside. Um, and, and again, we can I think we can exploit Richmond on the outside um, and get, if we can get the ball into our running players' hands um, because I, I, I don't expect that Richmond are going to have the, the toe to be able to keep up if we can do that from stoppage freak, or often enough. I think what Richmond are doing well and the reason they've been winning games is they still have some really high end um, and exciting talent on their list. And that's not to say the rest of them aren't good footballers. They are, but I think they're, they've gone from a team that obviously was winning premierships off the back of having a really disciplined game plan from being really manic about the way that they pressure teams from having a really 
disciplined structure and being a really, really tight defensive team too. I think just being a team more recently that's getting some younger players through and having enough talent, high-end talent in their team to to win games of football. And I think that's the difference between them being, you know, eighth or ninth on the ladder and and beating teams that are around them to to being, you know, at the top of the ladder through system and game plan, as we've seen previously. So I think this is a week to really lock down on on four of those players that I really want to see us take away from the game. And, and if we can do that again and get some of that ascendancy and clearance and get the ball on the outside, then I think we give ourselves a, a bit of a chance to to finish the season with the win. So four players I'm a, a watch on this week. Daniel Rioli at halfback. Uh, he's been in, in some great form. He's fourth at, at the Tigers for effective disposals. He runs and carries really well. Um, he's got the, the typical Rioli silky skills, um, a really good user of the ball. So I'm asking Guelphie to do a job this week on him, um, to be really physical on him, really competitive on him and try to take him to some parts of the ground that he doesn't like, i.e. a bit deeper into our forward line as well. So um, he's a player that can get a little bit lost in congestion and traffic. So that might give Guelphie an opportunity if he's smart to get involved in some blocking and shepherding and also a little bit at stoppage as well. Um, I'm sending Caldwell to Prestia this week as a hard lockdown. Uh, He's had 10 plus clearances the last two weeks. So, a part of the game that they're not strong at, but he is their, their standout there. So if we can stop his supply, then again, we, we give ourselves a really big chance of bringing our other um, clearance players, contested players into the game and, and having an impact there. I'm sending McGrath to, to Shai, Shea Bolton. Um, midfield and forward, I think we're not going well enough to be creative or cunning with how we, we go about a player like him. So I think, just having one person responsible for him. Um, I think uh, Andy's capable of getting him in the air and competing with him in the air, which is what makes Bolton such a, a difficult matchup because he he can jump and, and, and mark really, really well for a player of his size. Um, but it does mean we're going to have to be tight on the handover when if Bolton goes into the midfield, um, particularly if it's a quick handover. So we're just going to need to have some plans that I think would most likely involve either Durham or, or Heppel dropping back to half-back and then to to allow McGrath to come up from half-back to follow Bolton into the midfield and then one of our mids moves out to a wing. So that just has to be clean and, and we have to make sure that we get that right so we don't get exposed. Um, and then the last one, Tom Lynch is the other one that's in really good form. Richmond have got a really dangerous forward line. Um, uh, you know, Rewalt's obviously a player who's been around for a long time and, and has played really well against us in the past. Played really well against everyone in the past. Uh, I'm really keen to see how Zerk Thatcher handles him, though, this week. Um, Reid did hold him goalless last time out. I think he kicked four behinds from memory, but I think it's a, another really good chance for BCT to to continue his development by um, you know, tackling or, or taking on one of the, the premier forwards in the competition. Uh, and then last but not least, and probably is the, the number one, is that um, let's just get, I'm assuming he's going to play forward. Let's just get Michael Hurley a goal. Um, let's just find a way to get the ball in his hands and, and you know, hopefully early so he can get it off his back and, and we, we've all got something to really celebrate and, and enjoy and take away from the game. Um, 
we did have a whole bunch of questions that came through uh, over the last couple of days. We haven't lost them or ignored them or forgotten them. Uh, what we are going to do is do a show next week during the bye. Um, well, obviously we're, we're finished for the season, but the bye round um, for the, the competition and, and cover off on those and do a bit of a, a season review Um we might know a little bit more about what's going on at the club then, and we can address that too. So thanks for everyone who, um, who did send those through. Um, and I can see quite a few of you are, are listening live. Um, we haven't forgot them and, and we will talk about them and, and go through them next week. Um, before I open it up, I guess I just wanted to, to finish with one final thought for the week. We, we always have a, a final thought on this show, but I guess I'm just going to close out what I started the show with. Um, if I can leave all us and supporters with one last thought, it's, it's this, there's, there's plenty of people right now, Essendon fans and non-Essendon fans who are, who are piling on, who are saying that the club is, they're using stronger words than this, but the club is stuffed that, the club's a disgrace that, that Essendon is a, a poor football club. Football clubs like Essendon and you know, all clubs are, are a sum of their parts. There are some of the people, there are some of the history. The club isn't stuff. The club isn't a disgrace. Essendon Football Club is a great club and it'll be a great club for a long, long time to come. Essendon isn't the people that have let the club down that have taken our history and our supporters for granted and have made poor decisions over the last little while. It might feel like all of those things right now, but those people will come and gone. And, and long after they're gone, what is left is is the club that that we love and has stood the test of time. Essendon is much, much more than that. It's, you know, it goes back to the McCracken family and Albert Thurgood becoming the first player to kick 50 goals in a season. It's, all those fans who used to go from end to end to see Coleman up close. It's, you know, Bluey Shelton playing in the 65 Premiership despite only being able to see out of one eye. It's Michael Long standing up against racism. It's Kevin Sheedy waving his jacket over his head in 93. It's James Hurd, you know, jumping into the crowd and hugging a fan. It's four VFA and 16 AFL Premierships. It's a VFLW Premiership. It's the people that you high-five in the crowd after Sammy Draper grabs the ball out of the ruck and kicks a goal. It's the the complete stranger that you walk past in the middle of the week and you spot them with an Essendon polo under their jumper and you give them a little, you know, smile and a nod because you know that you're you know, you're you're joined into something special. It's eighty five thousand members that are proud and passionate and regardless of what's going on at the moment, don't ever lose sight of that. Don't let anyone tell you that your club's crap or that it's not good. There's people that are making poor decisions and have made poor decisions over a period of time, but it's not going to be that way for forever. So, yeah, just just keep keep that in mind that that despite how it feels at the moment, that as Essendon fans, we we do all have a lot to to be proud of, to be grateful for, and to be thankful for, and, and we're connected by that. That's it for me. I'm going to go and get a drink, but before I do, <laughs> thanks to everyone who's put up. And, and listen through. Congrats again to Humi on the safe arrival of Oscar. Um, if there's anyone who's got any questions, feel free to, or wants to add anything, feel free to, to put your hand up. Oh, I think we do have one. Vince, how are you, mate? Can you hear me now? Got you now, mate. 
Walsh, I just want to say thank you to you and Hume on behalf of everyone that has listened live and has participated in the pod over this season. It's been, as you have eloquently pointed out over the last few minutes, a really difficult time. But I think what you just said at the end there is something that certainly I share and I know my family and friends who are um, loyal supporters feel the same. Um, It's a great club. It's bigger than some bad decisions. It's bigger than some bad results. Much, much bigger. We're all part of the red and black fraternity. And um, I think it's something that we are going to carry with us for the rest of our lives, mate. I think you've summarised it really well. So I just want to say thank you to you and and Ian. And, um, yeah, go Bombers. And uh, I'm getting over there this weekend. Oh, good, mate. To, well, uh, to say, to say yeah. uh, goodbye to Hurls, who's been a champion of the football club. Um, had to make a quick decision today to see whether we could get over and, um, you know, last-minute tickets and accommodation are extremely expensive, Victoria. What are you doing to the rest of the country? You're just uh, absolutely, um, absolutely screwing us over. But um, anyway, uh, looking forward to getting over there and saying goodbye to one of our really great players uh, uh, the last 10, 15 years. No, cheers, mate. Thanks for that, that and thanks for being part of it. And, yeah, I... If I, if we get it, if you get a chance, shoot me a message on Saturday night. See if we can sneak a beer in or something. Excellent. All the best. Sounds good. All right. Cheers, mate. Thanks, everyone. And yeah, let's hope we can finish off the year with a win. And and congrats again, Humi. Uh, go Dons.